So you're editing. We can edit this bit out that I'm about to say, but you're editing this week and you need to edit in some Britney Spears. Oh. Can you do that? That's not cool. I'll do it. I'll never mind. I'll do it. No, 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 I'll edit, but I gotta throw in Britney Spears music? Well, that's the point. I was not a Britney Spears person. But that's not the point. The point isn't whether you're a fan. The point is ah. it's about Britney Spears, so you have to have a sound bite of Britney Spears. Yeah. At the beginning. At the opening. Yeah. At the opening. I'm gonna play Toxic at the opening. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Baby, can't you see I'm calling? Good morning, Lindsay. Good morning, Rob. How you doing? Good. And we are back on a morning, our normal time. Although this is early. It is early for you. I thank you. <laughs> I'm got, <laughs> going to the beach directly after for a girls weekend with my mom and some of her friends where we will play really loud card games in a small, tiny Winnebago. <laughs> So that loud. is entirely and absolutely important, which is why I'm awake, because beach time is important. We're getting ready for our beach time, and, uh, you know, Melinda is already starting the list. She's starting the games list. Games? Games list. For the car so. or for the beach? Like, when you get there? Yes. Yes. Wow. What kind of games do you play at the beach? Uh, well, that's that's what we're talking about as a family. What games do we want to bring? You know, not just the deck of cards, but like uh, the kids have some favorites that we've played, like Ticket to Ride. Have you ever played that? No. So, all right. This is one of the cool things about my job mm -hmm. is we'll do board game nights and all of the teens and, and kids are like, oh, we need to do this game, that game. And we have played some incredible weird games over the years that have just made it into our family rotation. Mm -hmm. Like one of them's called Super Fight, and you pick a random character with a random power, and then you have to argue why your character would win in a fight. And that it, sounds fun. There, yeah, it is. Uh, you know, Ticket to Ride is this train building game. Uh, we have a, a game called Monopoly Deals, which is just you know how Monopoly can be cutthroat family ending. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it takes the four-hour game of Monopoly that destroys a family and compresses it into 15 minutes. So, it only so takes... you can destroy your family every 15 minutes. <laughs> well, that sounds lovely. Yeah, so I mean, we... I'm not a big board game player, but we've got a good good set of games. Definitely sound like a board game kids. player. I, Melinda is the board game player. Wow. I'm not. Uh, and, and to be entirely fair, like I taught her how to play chess. And uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to enjoy this. She's kind of my my equal in many ways. This is chess. This is strategy. We can do that. <clears throat> After about the fifth game, she just started wiping the board with me every time. She's She is aggressive, competitive board game player. <laughs> and I want to play for fun, and I want to be on an equal footing. But she just, once she gets the hang of a board game, she will destroy you. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Noted. Yeah, so there there are some board games that she and I play. She's come to understand that I, I at least need to have a fighting chance. What but, games does she not like to play? Like, she's like, no, I don't like that game. Um, There's a game that we got introduced to a couple years ago called Rummicube. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
she doesn't like that one because my head works weird with math, but apparently that game works for me. Mm-hmm. And I can, yeah, I can normally get out on that one with her pretty quick. So she doesn't like that one. Um, she's not a fan of me with Monopoly deals yet, but she still hasn't gotten the hang of that. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she does, it's game over for me. So I, <laughs> I I normally have the advantage when we have a new game and I can figure the system out faster than she can. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, no, I don't want to play anymore because <laughs> you just <laughs> you just beat me across the board. It's no fun. <laughs> I don't like being crushed over much. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, you know, beach time is important, though. So that's why we're up early. That's why we're talking. That's why yeah. I still have plenty of coffee. Speaking of which, so actually, this isn't really a speaking of which. It is for me because I get up early to read. Um, what are you reading for fun right now? What am I reading for fun right now? Um, absolutely nothing, actually. Oh, that's too bad. So are you reading things, other things, for not so much fun, but... Um, where'd my phone go? My and let me clarify, fun, this. I mean, I think all reading is fun, but... Like, uh, reading with an objective versus reading just because it's Okay, with nice. an objective. Yeah. Uh, I did start reading How the Scots Invented the Modern World by mm. Arthur Herman. Mm-hmm. Just curiosity, there's some philosophy tossed into it. Uh, I did just finish The Apocalypse Factory, which is talking about the plutonium plants out in Washington State that helped create the plutonium for the um, uh, Fat Man bomb and the implosion device that they used to test the first nuclear bombs and dropped on Japan and hmm. so just history uh, hmm. and I, I'm still trying to pick at and it's going very slowly the Nigel Tranter book I mentioned a while ago oh, James yeah and and that's going slowly but yeah and that's because his writing style is uh his writing style is to create massive fictional history and so you're like oh so you know you're tracing what's real what's not and that's neat because that's that in and of itself is a history book but yeah hmm. cool i guess i have a pension for philosophy and history cool yeah i guess you do it's neat i'm uh, still plugging away and- at um the Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, I am, like, on page 450 of, like, 1300? Is that? I think that's how long the book is. I'm almost done volume one. I and... I have that set for beach and car reading for when we... What? Did you... What? What? Beach reading? Uh, yeah, that's beach and car reading. See, I would never read anything on the beach, because I am very distracted on the beach... I'm like, so it can't be anything that I need to focus over much on. So the fact that you can just plug into that, which to me, it's sometimes hard to follow. The guy's sentences are really weird sometimes. He's, I don't really like him as a writer. So kudos I, to you. I have it as an audiobook though. Oh, okay. So I can be plugged into that. I can be listening and consuming there while also alert and... You know, flying a kite with the kids and that's cool. Uh, sitting on the beach and yeah, watching. So. Part of why it's taking me a long time to read is because I'll be reading one of his sentences and I come to the end of the sentence and I'm like, wait, what? 
that did, sentence didn't make any sense until I got to the end, and I'm like, oh, well, that changes the beginning <laughs> of the sentence, now I gotta read it again. It's like, that, that happens to me all the time with him. He's really way too wordy. Yeah, I, I read that, uh, whew, I read that a few years ago, just going, okay, I want to understand that time period a bit better. Hmm. Just, you know, how did we get to that point? And we're going to talk more about all of that. I, I think you had it scheduled in September. Yeah. You laid out a beautiful schedule of things for us coming up <laughs> over the next, like, three months. And I said, oh, okay, maybe you're better at that scheduling thing than I am. <laughs> what are we talking about this week? <laughs> yeah. We have an agenda. <laughs> what was that? So today is... Um... We read a book together for our 42 book club. We read um, Arthur C. Clarke's Childhood's End. And to be entirely clear, this is a book that you picked. I didn't object. I've got no objection to this. Uh, But you picked this. And why did you pick this book? It was on a recommended reading list. And um, so I... As really good sci-fi and i've never read him before so i figured hmm, okay and it wasn't that long you... okay well hold on hold on sorry i gotta rewind here you have never le- read arthur c clark no. no really yeah yep i'm kind of a budding sci-fi fan like i've always sort of wow tipped my toes in it but i'm really it's really in the past five years that i've really gotten into sci-fi so that's why i just haven't read this one yet that one surprises me. I so I'm I'm not Arthur C. Clarke is not like my sci-fi guy that I go to, mm-hmm. but I really do like his writing. Um, he did. He's the one who wrote originally 2001, the Space Odyssey. Yeah. Now Stanley Kubrick took that and adapted that into a movie, and there's some things that are different between book and movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the movie they went to Jupiter, but the book they went to Saturn. Hmm. And there's actually a whole complicated gravity maneuver that they do with Jupiter in the book that is like four or five chapters. Wow. Um, yeah, well, and I mean, you saw how he writes. There's a lot that he puts into. Yeah. I mean, so I guess right off the bat, um, the premise of the book basically is that... Well, the... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold yeah. on. Sorry, we, we were about to jump right into it without saying spoilers! Oh yeah, we're going to talk exactly, explicitly about what happens in this book. So, maybe you want to pause, go back, go read the book and come back to this episode at a later date. Um, and brush up on your 90s and 2000s pop music. I'm going to throw that in there for kicks and giggles. Oh yeah, I forgot you did want to say something about music in this episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm intrigued. I, I think there's a relevant tie-in that you'd be like, yeah, okay, maybe, yeah. We'll we'll talk about it. (laughs) So, I was reading, the preface of this book says that um, the movie Independence Day is vaguely inspired by this story. So, um, all the strategically placed spaceships over the big cities, that's kind of where the comparison ends. But (laughs) this is what Arthur C. Clarke said, that... Uh, independence sort of took his idea and he didn't seem like upset about it or anything and there is um so these spaceships come to earth come hover over earth and somehow it doesn't get into it too much and maybe i missed it but elect this random guy named ricky 
uh, to sort of be the ambassador in the beginning of the story um, to, to go up into the spaceship but never see the alien. They're not allowed to see them because the alien said, his name's Corellin, the speaker, says that he wouldn't be, he wouldn't accept his image. Did I read the he, wrong he book? Wasn't... <laughs> no, no, you didn't. Okay. But uh, wasn't your random guy, Ricky, uh, wasn't he the United Nations General Secretary? Oh, yeah, okay. That's what I read. Okay, So yeah. it wasn't just random, it was... Well, it's funny because I started to watch the um, Prime, the, uh, sorry, the Sci-Fi Channel movie, and he is a random guy. He's a farmer named Ricky. And they're like, you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure in the book, he's the UN General Secretary, which fits into what the overlords are doing of one of the first things they do is create a unified one world government. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, in that era, that was part of the fear of what the United Nations would become. And that fits into then, well, it's a pre-existing structure, so why, why build something entirely new from scratch if we kind of already have a, a rough structure. Mm. Yeah, that... you're right. You're right. That's ringing a bell. And I remember thinking how strange it was that... Um... His name wasn't Ricky, but yeah. Hmm? His name wasn't Ricky. I can't remember it, but yeah. It wasn't Ricky. It was Richard or something, Stormbrand or Stormgrind or something. He had a first in a la- formal first and last name, but but Corellin called him Ricky, which I found right. super... Um, and he in keeping with the theme. And I think maybe it's fair what we should consider is uh, first, because the book is written in three chunks. Yeah. You have the first, the opening, the middle, and you have the end chunk. And each of them kind of take place at different time periods. So I think it's fair for us to yeah. maybe speak to each of the chunks before we start bouncing around all over the place. Okay, so one part one is Earth and the Overlords. Part two is the Golden Age. And part three mm-hmm. is the last generation. Right. So speaking to each of those chunks, and we can move from through each of them referring back, but that first chunk is the arrival of the overlords right as, and, and this is what I found interesting because this was a, a fear that you saw with the initial stages of space exploration is that as soon as we put a satellite up, as soon as we launched a rocket, uh, and it's even played out in some of the media that takes place after in uh, things like Star Trek. You have the prime directive that you can't make contact with the species until they have done certain steps. So there was a perceived fear that once we started entering into the space age, that contact would happen. Hmm. And mm-hmm. that's what... The, part of what this book plays out because it's as soon as they launch a rocket from the bikini atoll right on the verge of the beginning of the cold war for our timeline the overlords appear yeah um there's a lot to talk about here but can can one one thing that sort of threads throughout the parts Mm -hmm. to me is um the overlords attitude towards man and Mm. how and it starts really with ricky to me, it, that's where it started to come across, <laughs> because um, Corellin doesn't call him Mister Stormbrand or whatever his name is. He doesn't call him Richard. He calls him Ricky, which is like a little kid's name. It's like what you call your little brother, Ricky. Well, that's what you're called before high school, and I and that attitude of patronizing 
superior child or um, nanny child thing, I think, goes throughout the entire story. Stormgren. That's his name. Stormgren. Stormgren. Um, like one quote says, it's on, it was on page 131 in my book, but probably the overlords have their reasons for keeping us in the nursery and probably they are excellent reasons. So it's weaved throughout that there's they're keeping something from people um, because they're not ready for the sight of of these creatures, and they are told like they have to. Like, there's a big fuss about when can we see you? Why aren't you revealing yourself? This is really weird. Maybe you're just human. Maybe that's why you don't want us to see you because you're not a big deal. And it's a Russian fun. plot. Yeah. Yeah, and Corellan finally says, well, I'll let you see us in 50 years. So, okay. How would you feel? How, how would you feel if that situation played out now? Would you... A, a benevolent alien race shows up, starts giving out dictates, and pretty much just says no to any resistance. How would you feel? What would you do? Well, I'd feel really anxious. Really anxious. Um, probably, I mean, if, if, if I was some kind of super superhero, I think I'd be looking for militia or a way to... a resistance to join. <laughs> um, yeah, it'd be kind of scary, wouldn't you think? Oh, absolutely. And I, I find it interesting that you put the caveat on you have to be a superhero to join a militia. Well, no, I just I, I don't want to pat myself in the back and say that I'm the kind of person that would go find a militia. <laughs> I, I want to be, but I'm not sure I would. So I guess I have to put that little caveat in there that I, I would hope I would hope I do, but I'm not sure I would. <laughs> But then, I mean, with everything that plays out in this first chunk of the book, the overlords prove that they are uh, benign, that what they're doing is, is working for the best of humanity. So, I mean, even even seeing that, okay, humanity is, is getting better, we have better technologies, we're, our wars are ended, the threat of nuclear war is gone. Yeah. Isn't that something where you'd be like, okay, this is... This is good, but I mean, is that something you could then accept? You know what it reminded me of? That feeling, this feeling that th what they were doing before I found out what happened and what was going to happen. It felt like, oh, yeah, well, if I had sheep or cows and uh, and there was a, a, a slaughterhouse, you know, that where I was going to butcher them, I'd want them to be happy, too. And I wouldn't want them fighting. I'd want them to be happy and well fed and content until we eat them. <laughs> so that's kind of what it felt like to me was they were sort of culturing us, cultur culturing, cultivating us to be something or to, it felt very agrarian or something. That's how it felt to me. And, and I think that's kind of part of the point of the book in debating that. You know, the, the overlords show up and their whole premise is we've come to bring peace we've come to be peace for you for the people for 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 and you know at the end of at the end of that first section do you really feel that the peace they're bringing is 
is good or good with an unspoken intention. Oh, um, there's a quote. Oh, I can't find it now, but it was something about time would tell if they really had human best interests in mind. Uh, like they were like, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, look, there's no more racism. There's no more discrimination. There's no more uh, war or disease even. But we still kind of have this feeling like we don't really know if ultimately they have human best interests in mind at the end. Right. So, all right. That's kind of the, the feel you walked away with right there at the end, though, of, of that first chunk. You're like, eh, this is a little unsettling. Yeah, like, do, remember the part about the discrimination? Um, so, page 15, it says, it says this. Listen to this. Mm-hmm. Um, when it became clear that no attempt would be made to end discrimination, Corellan gave his warning. It merely named a date and time. No more. There was apprehension, but little fear or panic, for no one believed that the overlords would take any violent or destructive action which would involve innocent and guilty alike. Nor did they. All that happened was that as the sun passed the meridian of Cape Town, it went out. There remained visible merely okay, there remained visible merely a pale purple ghost giving no heat or light. Somehow, out in space, the light of the sun had been polarized by two crossing fields so that no radiation could pass. The area was affected the area affected was five hundred kilometers across and perfectly circular. The demonstration lasted thirty minutes. It was sufficient. The next day the government of South Africa announced that full civil rights would be restored to the white minority. <laughs> So, first off, the white minority is really interesting. and Well, I mean, that fits into the history of South Africa. Yeah, but civil rights would be restored to the white minority. Isn't that the opposite of what happened? Apartheid Uh, was separating black and white because, I mean, and when white people were the sort of... Holy crap, a spider! Sorry. There's this huge spider that just came down on my keyboard. <laughs> Block your... Oh, I'm going to mute you for a second. Yep. <sighs> Ew! Okay, I got it. <laughs> South Africa was dominated politically, socially, and economically by the nation's minority white population. Okay, so, yeah, it was the other way around. But the point, anyway, is that the overlords could just, like, boop, boop out the sun. <laughs> Just like that. And they're like, this is kind of all the demonstration we need. So are you going to play nice or not? <laughs> like that was all they needed to do. Right. And again, I mean, it's the the name given to them of overlords is very fitting for the premise because what they're doing is they're coming in. Here are our mandates. Follow them. And if you don't, here are the consequences. Yeah. Or even the resistance group that Stormgren is kidnapped by. Yes. Right. You know, here here's this full blown resistance and they they kidnap and get the UN Secretary General and it's that same kind of reaction mm. that the overlords have if they just kind of freeze time for these guys yeah they freeze time but here's the catch the one that you know Stormgren is the one who asks you know well what's going to happen to them and it's the overlord who replies well we're just gonna let them go we're gonna let them tell the story of what happened and why it's not effective to resist. But what we don't know is if that's what happened. 
because the story is only told from one perspective. Oh. They never follow up with that resistance. And they disappear. Like, they just sort of stop resisting. Yep. And you ready? This is where I'm going to have the 90s tie-in music now. 90s and 2000s. If someone showed up in your life and said, look, I will make every major decision for you, but you will have good health care, good food, good housing, and your basic needs will be taken care of. But I'll make all of your decisions. How would you feel about that? Nope. Nope. Because how do we know you're going to make the right decisions? You get to say what's right and wrong. No. You've been following anything about Britney Spears and the conservatorship that she's under? Oh, yes. Okay, yes. Yes, I have. I'm excited because I know what you're talking about now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I texted you. I was like, oh, yeah. That was before I completed the book. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember where this book goes. And, oh, I can tie in 90s music to this or... So you're editing, we can edit this bit out that I'm about to say, but you're editing this week and you need to edit in some Britney Spears. Oh. Can you do that? That's not cool. I'll do it. I'll never mind. I'll do it. No, no, no. I'll edit, but I gotta throw in Britney Spears music? Well, that's the point. I was not a Britney Spears person. But that's not the point. The point isn't whether you're a fan. The point is Ah. it's about Britney Spears, so you have to have a soundbite of Britney Spears. At the beginning. At the opening. At the opening. I'm going to play Toxic at the opening. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. So anyway, her conservatorship, which, so basically she can't live her own life because she was what? What happened back then? Is it with drugs? She got well, no, it, it was that mental breakdown that she had. Uh, this was like, what, mid, mid late 2000s? She, she shaved, shaved her, her head. head. She there was some minor child endangerment. She just was not in a healthy state of mind. She has a kid. She's she snapped. endangered her own child. I I don't remember exactly. I feel like there was a kid involved. I could be wrong. Again, I'm not someone who followed Britney Spears. I know that there was a point where she had some major breakdowns in the 2000s because of paparazzi press, pressures of stardom, and that's what started the conservatorship mm-hmm. and i'm intrigued now because the the lawsuits going on with the conservatorship are going to have long-term and lasting effects and from the outside looking in it does look like this has been a conservatorship that has had some levels of abuse on it so mm-hmm. that's where i'm curious i think see and that's why and this is relevant to uh our government situation right now as well hey we'll just keep shoveling money into your lap don't worry we'll take good care of you you don't even have to work really don't worry about it and we're gonna give you all free health care don't worry your head don't worry and i feel and we might come to your door and give you vaccinations if you don't want to go out don't worry about it come on so Come on. I'm not opposed to some of the government programs that you just, you know, came at. But I'm not opposed in the sense that we need to have a greater voice in how these things happen. And politically, part of where I stand is I think I think we need to have term limits on Congress and the House of Representatives. They need term limits. Yes, they do. They need term limits that go past those of... A president. 
So the so Senate just, is yeah. a six-year term. So, okay, let's do, you get two six-year terms because then you get a president and a half. Uh, the House of Representatives is, I think it's four years or something. I don't remember what they are, but they're like a four-year. They're a short, shorter term. Yeah. So let's do something that, again, is getting past like a president and a half. Uh, yeah. Because I don't think in our government right now we have that cycle of the people's voices. We have the politicians' voices. Mm -hmm. And they have a vested interest in staying in power. And I think that's where the problem is. Is Once you have a vested interest in staying in power and maintaining that power. Yeah. And you know you're what? You're going to do what? Go ahead. I'm really not opposed. I mean, in a way, I, I like getting money, free money that I don't have to work for. I like it. And I also like free health care. But it also scares me like I'm being I but I I feel kind of embarrassed about it because I think it's sort of setting a tone that's not good for this country and not good for my kids or their kids. And, it, and it's just so easy to take. It's so easy to just. You know what? I don't have to think about that anymore. Maybe we should be thinking about it, though. I think there are good ways to do it. I'm not saying I have those good ways. But I do think there are good ways to do that, of supporting uh, the people of the country, whether it's through free health care or a, a universal basic income. But I think, and again, it's kind of lolling into a complacency with where we're at with it now. Mm. We want to lull you yeah. to that complacency yeah. so I stay in power. Yeah. And, and that's how I view it. And that's why I'm like, no, nah, I'm opposed to the system as it is now. And I think... I think it's just more a manipulation tactic than it is actually being concerned for my well-being oh, as an yeah. individual, as a constituent. Right. I um, agree. And I think that's that's where there is a fundamental break. But, wow. Okay. <laughs> it's relevant to the story, I think. I know. I know. But it's it's just funny how we went from childhood's end, Britney Spears, politics. <laughs> yep. Oh, Okay. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so they they build these govern or they build the system. They create the one world government, and they build into. I think it's we should probably move into that golden age of things. You think we should? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, how did you feel with the sudden transition that was going from, you know, the arrival to the golden age? Well, I thought it was interesting. They kind of had to do this because it was 50 years later, but they change characters a lot and they change perspectives and you don't really stick with any one person, which has an interesting effect because you don't really care then about any one person. You're just sort of like, okay, moving on. Okay. Well, so but here in the golden sort of age, a, I mean, they... Go ahead. Which just gives you a, dis a distance from the characters. It's not really about the characters so much. Well, the character is humanity. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's it's what's happening to humanity. And so... It's humanity's childhood. Which is why it's childhood's end. I know. You know it's... <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, they, they set up that first one. That's the foundation. Yeah. Which Stormgren is embodying that movement. But then you go into uh, the Golden Age and you're introduced to... Mm really what will be the three main characters that you then follow george george Jean, julie and Jean. oh gene gene yep jan is a man by the way which is interesting and 
now you're following these three characters. Yeah. Not directly, not all the time, because you still have the Overlord plot going on. You still have uh, the different things that they're talking about and laying out as a foundation for where the book is going, but it's there. Mm-hmm. How do you feel with that transition, though? Because you went from kind of the big overarching story of creating a one-world government. and To, to like a guy's party? Like the party? To a guy's party. Yeah, I liked that. I'm like, okay, fine. And finally. a bit of a... And, and, I felt a little bit creepy with the party, but yes. Well, me, I, it, that doesn't mean it wasn't creepy. It was creepy, but I was like, okay, finally, cool. We're we're gonna see what's going on here. Like, I lo- I liked um, the whole thing with the Ouija board. Mm-hmm. That was super fascinating, um, and how the I forget their names because they're super exotic, weird alien names. But the alien guy that was there at the party. Um, by the way, we do, yeah, so we got we to talk about what they look like, because that's really interesting. But they were... Well, this is the part where you finally are told what they look like, and it's in such a casual way, which is interesting, because the part of the transition was you go back to Stormgren, uh, like, what, 30 years after he's UN, and yeah. things have kind of calmed, and uh, reporters there to interview him, and... You know, I found out you made these things, and you might have seen what the overlords look like. And he's very cagey about it. Yeah. It puts attention into it. But then when they finally give you a description of what the overlords are, it's at this party. Yeah. And it's in such a casual, kind of relaxed, blasé way. Yeah, it's not a big deal at all now, because it's 50 years later. And, and the the overlord we meet at this party is Rasha Varric. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And so he, they are super tall. They're like nine feet mm-hmm. tall or something. They have leathery wings and giant horns on their head, complete with tail with a little pointy end. Do they have cloven hooves too? Or is it, no? Yes, they do. They have cloven <laughs> hooves. So they are like straight out of a Rembrandt painting or something. They are They are the embodiment of the devil that we have culturally. Or yeah. demons that we have culturally. Yeah. Super everyone's chill with him there. And they're fascinating fascinated with him. You know, they're just he's just reading a book in the library. <laughs> and they they do specify where, okay, you know, the overlords don't come to parties much and when you see one in public and in person it's fascinating and everyone's captivated everyone is intrigued and you know they are the center of attention but there's a casualness now in that golden age into just mm-hmm. accepting there's no more talk of resistance there's no more overthrow or everyone has kind of accepted because life is an abundance if you need it it's there it's there to the point where some people just don't work other people only work for the joy of work. Yeah, there's no lack. Nobody lacks anything. You can kind of do whatever you want to a degree, as long as you don't that hurt anybody, neat. especially animals. Don't hurt the animals. Remember that? That was well, yes. really weird. It's neat, but it's weird, too. Like, there's no mention of, like, you shouldn't beat your kids. They don't say that. They're just like, don't you dare hurt the animals. But you can eat them, well, which is also interesting. And, like, but the example they gave was the bullfighters. <laughs> Which was intentional cruelty, not towards eating them, because, you know, eating them, yeah. you don't want the animal to suffer. It's You want to bring that death quickly and be thankful for the fact that the animal 
was there for you to have food. And that's my perspective. But Right, right. Interesting. Um so mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that when they mention about Rashavarik, he's in the library studying kind of like the occult or like spirituality and Zen stuff, woo woo stuff, parapsychology. And then at the party, the 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 cool they have this like super fancy Ouija board thing. Um like a table that's made for the Ouija board. And um, Jean sort of picks up, is like a sort of conduit of something, and Rashavarik is like, seems, I can't, maybe this comes out later, that he's a little nervous about things. The tie into the occult is pretty fascinating. Rashavarik, there we go, is, it happens in the conversation later with Carillion, where he's talking to him about how Jean was the, the channel, how she was the one, and they elevated her observational status to purple, which, wait a minute, why are we being observed? What's the importance of this? Why, <clears throat> why, is this a, why is there this arbitrary elevation of observation? So there's now a revelation of intent. So what's going on? Why is that happening? Yeah. And I think that even takes you into a little more intrigue of... Mm-hmm. What is the intention? Because there's there's now an intention revealed. There was this odd occurrence. There's now an intention revealed of the overlords are doing something. But what? Right. It's not just like BBC documentary on humans from space. It's like, this isn't just observation. There's something happening. Right. And, and a second piece that's intriguing that is also frustrating to me, which goes back to that kind of idea of you know, would you accept a conservatorship where someone says and makes every giant decision for you and you get every comfort? Uh, and this is where I I kind of lined up with the, the story now is uh, who, who was the character that asked about which star the overlords come from? Jan. Jan. It's in Jan asking that because you find out that Jan is interested in space. He is frustrated because one of the things that the overlords have said is that space is not for humans. That's it. Yeah. You don't get to go to space. You're done. By the way, we've got these great, amazing ships. We can travel faster than, or almost as fast as light, and you get to do none of that. Yeah. So, okay. Right. So, and, and that's where I start kind of, started kind of, you know, getting invested more because, well... Now we have a second line that happens. You have the two characters you're following, Gene and Jan, and kind of what is a diverging branch. Interesting. That's interesting insight. Yeah. What are you thinking? Yeah. I want to talk about the contagion thing. All right. Go for it. Okay. What? The overlords make it sound like they're babysitting humanity until they start to develop certain gifts some parapsychic gifts. So it's like they're sort of delaying it, but waiting for it to happen so they can make it happen more. Like, I didn't understand. It seemed really contradictory what what was happening. Like, because the, ki- um, the kids first, the kids started to act really weird and started to okay, act so like... Okay, so for, for clarity, we're jumping to the third section now, which admittedly that whole second section is just the party. Yeah, a lot of it, yeah, so, it is. See, I didn't feel like they were delaying it. I felt like that's what they were shepherding humanity towards. 
Why, though? Well, and in the book, it's revealed that they are servants of... Uh, the Overmind. Yes, well, that's what they referred to it as in, in human language. Of We're servants of the Overmind. The Overmind is over us. It is this one collective conscious that species can be elevated into evolutionary ever evo evolutionarily yes, evolutionary oh, i can't even get it evolutionarily there we go <laughs> and that when they're shepherded into that then they as a species lose all identity as a species and become a part of the overmind like as if each person was sort of a cell not not an individual anymore but like one cell a part of this you are individual thing. in that you are a cell but you are still part of a greater thing. Your individuality is, is lost. And that's where... So they could never have gotten to that point if history had continued on the way it was. Well, and that, they, they do talk about this a little bit where... And this is where I kind of feel, I don't know, suspicious about Clark's intention in writing this. But he says that humanity if they had continued to evolve as they were, would become basically a parapsychological terrorist. Instead of being... Parasite. Yeah, virus, instead yeah. of being a part of the, the goodness of this overmind, that they would be this oh. now second creation that is not aligned with the overmind, but is a terror to the galaxy. That is... Uh, a terror to the overmind. And that's kind of, again, where I start feeling a little suspect. Not a little. You feel suspect in the whole book as it's building to this point. Because what it's kind of saying is real peace equals annihilation. Annihilation to being something higher. Yeah, but it destroyed Not Earth. Not only does it... It killed everybody and so Jan. You, you, you went all the way to the end. I, I haven't even gotten to some of the pieces i want to stick on yet <laughs> no you're fine that's that's part of the joy of this book but yeah it, it destroys humanity uh and in the book who's it who's the group of people that encounters and experiences the awakening children and it's the children that the overlords take all of the children do you remember that mm -hmm. oh yeah they yeah, show yeah, up with yeah, their right. ships and they're the like island. all right we have to do a mass evacuation of your children so where do they go? They take them to, uh, oh, I don't remember what continent. They, it's mentioned when Jan shows back up that they oh. they have a continent that they've secured the children on. Uh, on planet Earth. They're still so on they, Earth. So, that, so those feral creatures that Jan sees when he, because he leaves Earth for a while, he's like, right. so boards. Jan, a, right, the, the last piece of that Golden Age story is that Jan actually smuggles himself onto an overlord ship and gets out to the overlord it's not their home world it's a, a second world that they have uh taken over and so he's now seeing all of that but because of um yeah relativity he's only he's only gone for 60 or six months but when he re returns back to earth it's actually been 80 years earth time only six months of his life, yeah. but 80 years of in Earth time have passed. And when he returns, what he finds is that humanity is gone. 
there are some feral humans who remain. It's kind of... Vi- are And are those no. the children? So where are the children? They are isolated in a, a part of the earth. I don't remember if he said it was like Australia or somewhere. But it, they have their own place that is kind of a quarantine zone because the the telekinetic and uh, superhuman evolution that they are going through, they're playing effectively. But their play is to throw yeah. giant boulders and reshape the earth. And you, you see that later on. Put stars right. out. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. they destroy the earth. Uh, they it's destroy a the bit earth. Vague on that. I, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll get to that. Um, but that the overlords have now separated the children out from families, and it's because the children are going to be the ones awakening. And the book is very kind of casual on this. People, when that happens, are just dismissed. They're allowed to go feral. You know, we, we have the product from humanity. We want. Uh, good luck. We're we're gonna over here now kind of thing so why do you think they go feral then i don't understand that why do they stop being human how would you feel if your kids were taken oh yeah i know i would probably kill myself but but that doesn't mean like you stop being human. right like they weren't even really human but no one anymore. could have kids anymore parents who lost kids they, they talk about this where people were just like all right well there's no point to life anymore bye and and they just off themselves. I mean, that's the whole storyline that finishes with George and Jean and New Athens, the island where they were. They had mm-hmm. detonated an atomic bomb to wipe out the whole island. Just, alright, we're gonna live here, we're gonna set this atomic bomb to a random timer, and right. uh, yeah, it'll go off at some point, so. And why can't they have kids anymore? They don't specify why, they just... No explanation. It's become an evolutionary dead end for humanity. Oh, and okay. the overlords pretty much just again once this this tipping point happens, the overlords just pretty much say, "Okay, we're gonna be with the kids. We're gonna be watching this, observing this, and allow humanity to do whatever." Because it it covers this when Gene right. comes back, where there's some tribalism and warfare that picks up. There's the the last aspects of humanity basically create blood sports. They they create Thunderdome and you know, who can survive the longest, and that's it. Hmm. I don't know why I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it fits into that, where it's okay. The overlords seem to show up, shepherd humanity to this golden age, and then once the first product of that golden age that they wanted appears, they take the kids and run. And humanity then and this is where you know gene shows up almost everyone on earth is dead or if not dead it's not worth finding kind of thing there yeah uh and so you know the overlords have been observing what's been happening with the children who are now this higher evolved form and continuing to evolve higher and the the hard question is is you have this last remnant of what was golden age humanity and this this other new humanity and it's is it okay and i think that's the biggest question that i'm i'm sitting with is is it okay with what clark put in this book of humanity guided to an evolutionary point that takes them to a higher plane of existence for a mysterious overmind and they, they never go into details on any of this is the overmind good is the overmind bad 
what's the intention? And I think that's what sits with me and disturbs me the most is the only intention you ever get is that sh- that humanity is shepherded to this point of advanced evolution. And then right here at the end of the book, in talking with Gene, it's Gene and... Um, Oh, what's his name? Corellia? Corellan. Corellan. Uh, they're talking right there at the end. And again, they, they rehash that the overlords cannot evolve to this point. All they can do is observe and shepherd. And in their observation, they're trying to get themselves to a point where they can force that evolution. Ugh. Reminds me of a Star Wars book I read called The Truth at Bakura. <laughs> or Bakura. Where um, these aliens had... Uh, figured out a way to extract your life force and put it in machines. And to them, this was the highest... Well, that's what they told people, was this is your highest function. Yay! And the guy who was helping them do it was Force-sensitive, and he was sort of tricked into thinking that he was missing out, like, from his evolutionary um, calling. And that's sort of what this reminded me of was like the overlords want something that's kind of really creepy. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I think that's kind of where the end of it sits is you, you don't feel good about what's happened. You're like, Ew, this is this is uncomfortable. This is yeah. You know, in the book, did humanity get lulled into that false sense of security to then be taken advantage of? It's you know the the one of the things that's talked about throughout the whole book is that as humanity goes into this golden age and is lulled to complacency the creative arts just die away there is no inspiration yeah. there is no genuine spark to that human spirit and it's all for the purpose of this greater evolution uh, it just doesn't feel right now mm-hmm. some of this maybe clark's I don't know. Uh, yeah. Bleak. Yeah, I mean, he was a futurist. He he had a unique view. Uh, but it, it may be his look at faith, even, and what he perceived the objectives of faith as. It may be his view of one world government. I, I, there's some speculations. Yeah, well, and even in Christianity, we say things like, less of me, more of you, and sort of dying to yourself and losing yourself in God. And, I mean, it's kind of like that, except way bleaker. Or nihilist. Is that the word? Nihilist? It's kind of religious. It does does have religious overtones. And Clark wasn't an atheist exactly. He was kind of a... Uh, theist might be a better word there where god was just this over over large concept that was defined by truth but how do you know truth so i it, there may be some ties into his belief well he wrote it so there are ties into his belief but it's it's which ones and how i think the last religion he sort of mentions that it was sort of this is all distilled down to is kind he's like he said kind of like buddhism yeah yeah little buddhist booty buddhist is so well which i mean i'm rusty on my buddhism but i mean there's a the meditation is to understand self 
in an understanding self, it's understanding God and, and the concepts of, of God within the arc of their beliefs. I'd have to hmm. brush up on that to affirm that, but I think that's roughly roughshod what mm. it was. But, uh, I don't know. It, it was... I read this in high school, and I remember, you know, it, it felt weird back then. It was... God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it was an unsettling book, and it was always meant to be unsettling. Because it's... Hmm. It, it, Again, that Weird. core question of could you accept the benevolence of people, not just people, mm. but could you accept the bene benevolence of someone who would give everything you would ever need, give you comfort, but make all of the big decisions. And trust that they don't want anything from or you. Or that they're shepherd you, shepherding you in a direction that is going to be your end. Kill yeah. you? <laughs> shepherding you right towards the butcher's block. Well, and that's, that's a question of this book of, is that what the overlords did? There's no answer to it. Yeah. It's just questions. That's what you're end or you're left with is questions. Yeah, it was interesting, and I felt so sad for Jan. What a way to go. <laughs> he's like talking to Corell into the very end, and he's like, "I think there's less gravity yeah. now. <laughs> it's getting <Can't> cold. <laughs> getting hard. It's that's yeah. awful." <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Because, and I guess it's fair to say that, that, it, you know, he's witnessing as the children of Earth who are now part of the Overmind are leaving Earth. And as they're leaving Earth, Earth is destroyed, which, mm -hmm. you know, I have questions on that. Why does Earth need to be destroyed when they leave? Well, I think they do something to Earth that, that is, uh, breaks it when they're doing their playing stuff. Because I think they moved the sun or they did, they, they moved, they, they turned the changing, moon. Right. They did things. They... They did things that I think broke everything. Yeah. They broke their toys and then they left. Okay, yeah. Which is in keeping with the yeah. theme. <laughs> so, there you go. Oh, the rattle. Remember mm -hmm. the rattle that the baby's yep. playing and it's with? Just constant. He's like, <laughs> and all of a sudden the rattle's on the floor and he doesn't use it anymore. That's exactly what happens to Earth. That's actually really good. Yeah, okay. Because they do return to that right there at the end of George and Jean's storyline. Where they, they go into, it was Baby Jen's nursery, and so you know, they the rattle's still laying there because yeah. they were terrified to pick it up, but it was just discarded. Okay. Yep. Hmm. And I think the image I'm going to take away from this is the image of, it says Corellin was sort of watching in the, I know they don't have a rear view mirror, but in my imagination, it's like a <laughs> rear view mirror. He just watches Earth explodes and then just keeps driving <laughs> away Drive to the next place. <laughs> Must <Yeah. go> faster. <laughs> oh, why would you say that? Why would you say that? I had a mm -hmm. book recommendation that I was dead set on. And then you threw that out there. And I was like, oh, but that would be so good to read. What? Tell, why did I just dis, dis, disinclude you from your, your book recommendation? Because I mentioned, this, I mentioned the book that you just kind of indirectly quoted via movie yesterday to my wife. Yeah. Jurassic Park? You know, that was a book. Oh, yeah. I've read the book. I've read the book. It oh, was very so good. Oh, so better than the movie. And, and the Billy, movie was phenomenal. And yucky. It was kind of like cold feet. More, more, uh, cold feeling than the movie. The movie was great adventure and fun and there were scary parts and there was, you know, oh, I'm sorry people are dying. But in the book, it seemed like that was much starker. Like, ugh. Oh, I loved it. 
Michael. Yeah. John Hammond. Yeah. His end. Which I thought was fitting. That was like... Uh, yeah, but it was sad. It was like icky. and. I thought ugh. it was more fitting than what they did John <laughs> Hammond in the movie series. Does he die in the movie Eventually, series? Eventually, yeah. But he dies of old age. Isolated. Alone. And having failed. Okay. But anyway. No, I don't know. Maybe I want to do that one. I... Well, if you insist. Oh, all right. <laughs> so I'll stick with my original recommendation. Second recommendation. <laughs> Let's read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Would you be shocked if I read that too? Having already read that? Mm-hmm. No. I read it like five. Yeah, it's it good. is. I'm saying let's let's read that again and let's talk about that. Uh, I just loaned it to my friend, so I have to get it back That's okay. now. <laughs> it's a couple months. It's good. That's a good book. Well, you know, we borrowed the 42. Let's read it. Oh, That'll okay. be it, because that's... Yeah, I think it's due in October. To I think that's when we're discussing the next oh, book. That's October. three months. That's fine. It doesn't have to be that far away, actually. I think I just put it down. And that's fine. I Maybe it's If September. we do four books a year, I think that's good. I think so, too. Because that's not exactly why people are listening to our podcast, per it's se. It's just us having fun. So I think that's... Yeah. But... So, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, probably in October. Roger, Roger. And Childhood's End was good. I think we got a lot of good discussion out of this. I enjoyed the discussion, but I didn't like the book. <laughs> I, I didn't, I wouldn't read it again, I don't think. And I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I mean, it was interesting, interesting conversation, but I didn't Did like you it. ever... I wouldn't have kept reading it if it was by myself. If I was by in myself. high school, did you ever read On the Beach? Literally? Did I read On the Beach? No, or is it's it a book, called on, a the book beach? called on the Beach. Sorry. Yeah, I should have specified that. No. No. <laughs> Maybe that's one we're going to have to do as well, because if you thought this was tough, that's even harder. I didn't say tough. I said I didn't okay. like it. If you, it was easy to read. If you didn't read, like this, sorry. But... If you didn't like this one, maybe we should read On the Beach, because that one's just flat-out depressing. Oh, good. Is it? Is it like, I was told from the perspective of someone watching the atomic bomb fall or something? No, it's told from the survivors <laughs> in Australia as radiation slowly moves down from a post-apocalyptic oh, come on, nuclear please. war. And little by little, <laughs> in a slow death, the world is dying. No. It was phenomenal. It made me feel things. Did it make you feel like drowning yourself? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But no, we'll stick with we'll stick with lighthearted, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And it doesn't have to be. This, see, to me, part of the joy of books is it's fun to hate things. Yes. <laughs> it's fun for books to make you angry. It's I love the fact that they can evoke any emotion, even if I. <laughs> hate you for making me read it i think it's i think every book is worth is worth visiting and just i don't think every book is worth visiting but i i don't i think there are some that aren't but yes um you know what i mean i guess i'm just speaking too generally and you're fine you know what i mean but i figured you know reading the time frame that we have for the next book discussion reading that one gives us a good setup to also kind of reflect on what this past year has been because that's getting close to the year mark can you see what I did there? I see yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, I just got ink on my face. <laughs> and well, don't chew on your pen. Pen. You're just rubbing I it. I didn't in. even. I... 
I have ink <laughs> on my face now. You, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even bite hard, and it just sort of gave gave on me. <laughs> okay. Well, that was fun. So I like how we were thinking about tying up our first year of the Forty Two podcast with, um, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I think that's yeah. It'll just it'll be a fun kind of book to read through, reflect on, and laugh with. Yep. So. And I'm going to watch the movie, Ugh. too, because I liked the movie. I liked Alan Rickman as a robot. <laughs> I like Alan Rickman. There were good parts to the movie. There were things that were worth it, like how they did the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the animations for that. That was good. That's how I envision yeah. that in the world of that book. But The, the audiobook is really good, too. Um, Stephen oh, Fry goodness, reads it, yes. and it's yes. amazing. It is. Stephen Fry. And Stephen Fry. It's hard not to be intrigued when he has his name on a project. I mean, yeah. You know, from, yeah, he's a smart well, guy. smart guy. I, from Sherlock Holmes to um, Lord of the Rings to... Uh, there are a handful of things. Lord of the he Rings? He did something. He reads Lord I, of the Rings? I don't remember if it was Lord of the Rings or the movies. Well, Harry Potter. He reads Harry oh, Potter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what did he do with... There it is. He was the master of Lake Town in Lord of the Rings. The movie. Oh my gosh, he was! In The Hobbit. Yes, in sorry. In The Hobbit. But, yeah, again, yeah, he... You're right, he was. If it's British literature, he's involved somehow. He just mm. sticks his foot in there and goes, Hey, I'm Stephen Fry. I'm part of this now. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. All yeah. right. It's been good talking to you. I'm going to the yeah, beach. Yeah, go enjoy now. your beach day. <laughs> uh, blah, blah. Go enjoy your beach day. I can speak. <laughs> going back to bed. <laughs> All, right. All right. All right. You have a good you day too. now. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the 42 Podcast. Please take a moment to like and subscribe. And if you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter to add your voice to the conversation. Thank you.